You guys, uh, last week I told you a few stories about how when I was growing up, me and my brothers would often get confused for each other. And I had a few of you laugh about it with me after and basically expressed some doubt that I was telling the truth. But it is true. We, we looked so much alike, we would often get confused for each other. And we made a pact that when we would get confused for each other, we wouldn't correct the person. Right? So we'd let the person think we were each other. Um, one time when we were younger, uh, my parents had a commuter living in the basement. Uh, he was a nice guy. He was a little weird. He played the fiddle by himself in his room. Uh, I guess that's not that weird. I guess that's where else is he going to play the fiddle? Okay, sorry. He's, he wasn't weird. He was a normal guy. And, uh, and Jake was still a teenager, so he was living at home still. And uh, one, t- one night, Jake came in the house, and this guy was sitting on the couch watching TV. And the guy looked at Jake and uh, said, hey, can I talk to you for a second? And the guy had clearly confused Jake for me. He thought it was me that he was talking to, but it was really Jake he was talking to. And he said, hey, what, what's the deal with your little brother Jake? And, uh, and Jake just kind of smiled to himself. And he's like, uh, well, what do, you, what do you mean, kind sir? What's, what do you mean what's wrong with Jake? And the guy looked at him. He's like, man, he is so lazy. All he ever does is sit on the couch and play video games. And Jake just looked at him and said, you're right. I'll tell him. And uh, he didn't let him know it was him. And he just let him go for him. But probably the worst case of mistaken identity that happened with us was me and Adrian were down at the Wendy's downtown, and we were holding hands. We were really young. Uh, we were dating. And um, my brother's mother-in-law was at the Wendy's, and she saw me and Adrian holding hands, and she just gave us a dirty look and walked off kind of huffy. And I found out later that day that Nathan's mother-in-law had called his wife, April, to tell her that she saw Nathan holding hands with a tall blonde girl down at the Wendy's. And, right? Dangerous ground. The thing about these encounters is these people, uh, they thought they knew who they were talking to, right? They thought they knew it was Jake or they thought they knew it was Nathan. But really, they, they just knew about us. They just didn't really know us. And last week I asked this question, uh, is it possible for this to happen, for us to do this when it comes to Jesus? Is it possible for us to be confused about him, to know just enough about him that when we sort of fill in the blanks, the person that we end up creating isn't really Jesus at all? And the best example we have of this is with celebrities, right? Like, so you might, uh, you might know everything about Justin Bieber, like where he was born and how he, 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 he became famous. And you may know all about him, but you would never say that you know Justin Bieber. Or you might know, like, you might say like, oh, Chris Pratt, I liked him when he was on Parks and Rec and, and when he fell into the pit. I liked him before he was a Marvel superhero. And you might know all about Chris Pratt, but you would never say that you know him. Just knowing about him doesn't mean that you know him. And so I do think it is possible for us to know all about Jesus and to end up not actually knowing him. It is possible to sing the songs and to even read the Bible and to never actually get to know the person 
of Jesus, which is such a shame because to be mistaken about Jesus is the biggest mistake of all. And, and that is exactly what this message series that we're in is all about. We're exploring the different facets of the character and the person of Jesus. Of Jesus. And, and not just so we can know more about him, nor know more facts about him, like where he was born and the names of his parents and some of the things that he did. We don't just want to know more about him. We want to get to know him in a personal way so that we can know him personally. And Jesus is not void of personality. In fact, uh, while you and I, we are merely a reflection of the God who created us, Jesus radiates the fullness of the creator himself. The author of Hebrews put it this way in Hebrews 1.3, the sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God, Jesus radiates everything that is good about God. And a tool our staff team here at Fort City have found, has, we've found helpful over the years, is called the Enneagram. It's uh, a personality and character assessment tool, kind of like Myers-Briggs, or uh, if you've used uh, those before. Um, but you just answer a bunch of questions, and then it kind of uh, distills you, it kind of channels you into a single category between one and nine, and each category has like a different personality type and character characteristic, characteristics. And, and I, I was once listening to an Enneagram podcast where somebody was talking about the Enneagram, and, and the guest asked this question. They said, what Enneagram number is Jesus? One through nine, what, what was Jesus most likely on the Enneagram? And the host had this incredible answer. He said, Jesus is all the types. And Jesus encompasses every good thing about every good thing a person can be. He is everything and more because each one of us, he reflects all the personality types because each one of us is a reflection of Jesus. So Jesus showed his Enneagram type one, the reformer. He did this on the Sermon on the Mount when he challenged everyone to live a higher standard of righteousness. He showed his type two helper side when he got down in the dirt and held the hand of the man with leprosy. He showed his type three achiever type by somehow discipling 12 random undisciplined men into heroes of the Christian faith. He showed his type four individualist side by never conforming to the person people wanted him to be, always being true to himself. He showed his type five investigator side every time he went off by himself to pray and to read the scriptures. He showed his type six loyalist side by being the sort of person everybody wanted to have at their parties and being the life of every party he went to. He, he showed his type eight, uh, <laughs> uh, his type seven, sorry, his type seven enthusiast side by, um, by being the life of every party. Sorry, I'm getting all my numbers messed up. As you can see, I'm not an Enneagram expert. I just kind of dabble in it. He showed his loyalist side by, and this is maybe the greatest miracle of the Gospels, he showed his loyalist side by having 12 good friends in his mid-30s, right? That, that... <laughs> That is a miracle. And he showed his ch side eight, challenger side, when he stood up to powerful institutions and religious leaders. And he showed his type nine peacemaker side when he went to the cross and he died in place of his friends. 
Jesus radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. He is everything good. And yet, it seems that sometimes some of us, we've been raised or we've become uh, to a place where we believe in Jesus being a kind of a cryptic, odd, and aloof teacher. Somebody who uh, art, artists portray as wispy and pale and haunted and making weird hand gestures in every environment that he's in. And the truth is, is if this is the only way that you know Jesus, then there is good news. There is more of him for you to discover. And so let me ask you a question. Let's, let's do a thought experiment together. Can you imagine, or have you ever imagined, Jesus laughing? Laughing, telling a joke, busting a gut, laughing. It's not often a way that we think about Jesus. Honestly, there are not many paintings out there showing Jesus rolling on the floor, laughing. But of course Jesus laughed, right? Of course he had a sense of humor. Jesus is the author of joy. And when he pulled the universe into existence and when he put breath in our lungs, he also put in us his design for laughter and humor. Jesus invented the smile. Of course Jesus has a sense of humor. Have you ever seen a platypus? It looks like Jesus was designing a new animal on his computer and he sneezed and the mouse went like that and then this happened. And he was like, they're going to like this one. If you can't imagine Jesus laughing, then it is possible that you don't know Jesus very well. The lead singer of Rain Collective once said this. He said, seriousness is not a fruit of the Spirit, but joy is. And he's right. And many of us have created or been taught or experienced these versions of Jesus where he is only serious and not so joyful. In the next few minutes together, I want us to quickly look at three really short stories where I believe Jesus showed his playful side. Playful is not a word we often use to describe Jesus, but in these stories, I hope we'll be able to see that Jesus is holy and righteous, but yes, he is also playful and winsome. And so let's get into them. First, the story we're going to look at was uh, documented by John. It's in John 21. And the scene opens, and Peter and James, uh, or Peter and John and uh, four of the disciples, uh, the scene opens with them out fishing on the Sea of Galilee. And the disciples have been on this emotional roller coaster these last few, few, few weeks. They've seen their friend Jesus, or their leader, their friend Jesus, be arrested, and they've seen him murdered. And after he was murdered, they thought everything he taught must be wrong, and they scattered, and they were afraid for their own lives. And then, and then just a few days later, three days later, they saw their friend Jesus, the resurrected Savior, like talk about an up and down roller coaster. And so now it's been a couple of weeks since Jesus had been resurrected, and it's been a couple of weeks actually since they've even seen Jesus. And so, unsure of what to do now, unsure of what to do with their lives, they decide to go fishing. 
John tells us that Jesus is standing on the shore watching them fish, that they don't know he's there. And Jesus calls out to them and he says, fellows, this is what the Bible said, fellows, I guess, have you caught any fish? It's, it's what you ask when you see someone fishing, right? Have you caught anything today? But he knows they haven't. He's been watching. He knows they haven't caught anything. He knows they've been out there all night toiling and coming up empty-handed. I think Jesus is messing with them. He's baiting them. He's orchestrating a juicy theatric moment. It's a setup. And so he asks them, have you caught anything? And then, like you do, Jesus offers them some unsolicited advice. Right? You love that when you're, you're, something's not going right. and Someone's like, well, maybe you should try this. That's your favorite thing, right? It's my favorite thing. And Jesus says, why don't you try fishing on the other side of the boat? Come on. That is not helpful advice. That's kind of rude, right? Like you're struggling. Well, maybe you should try fishing on the other side of the boat. I'm sure Peter looked over at John. He's like, would you get a little with this guy? Like, who does he think he is? Fish on the other side of the boat. You see, the story takes a different meaning when we start to realize Jesus is a person, when he's a real person. And so, I don't know why they do it, but they throw their nets over the other side of the boat. And the water begins to bubble, and the, and the, the ropes on their nets get tight. Is this, if you fish, you know this feeling, right? When you feel a fish, it is exciting, and, and the, air, the air changes, and, and they pull up. They can't even pull it in. There's so many fish in their net. Late, later on uh, in the story, they tell us there was 153 fish. This is what, this is what makes me trust the Bible. They, these fishermen took the time to count how many fish they caught. They wanted us to know. They wanted to brag about it 2,000 years later. But as their fish are in their net, it clicks. This has happened to them before. Three years earlier, a man they didn't know stood on the shore and told them to cast their nets on the other side of the boat, and they caught so many fish that their nets broke. That was the day Peter and John first decided to follow Jesus. This stranger with fishing advice they didn't ask for, standing on the shore, it was not a stranger at all. It was Jesus. And Jesus could have stood on the shore and he could have said, Peter, it is I, the Lord, come thou to me. Right? He could have, he, this is the vision of, this is the picture of people that have of Jesus. He could have been so weird about it, but instead he was playful and he was fun and he recreated a moment for them that was meaningful. He created for them a story that they would never forget. Peter didn't waste another second when he realized it was his friend Jesus on the shore. He dove into the water and swam as fast as he could, got on the shore, and he hugged his friend, Jesus. Got them all wet. I bet they were smiling, right? It doesn't say that, but I bet they were smiling. 
The next story involves Jesus uh, encountering some people after his resurrection as well. Three days after Jesus had died, two of his followers were traveling to Emmaus, which was a town uh, just down the road from where Jesus had been executed, about seven miles down the road. And their hearts were heavy, right? They had just seen Jesus die three days earlier. All their hopes and dreams for the future of what he was going to do for them were dashed. They had not yet heard that that morning, the tomb they had put Jesus in was found empty. They didn't know that part of the story, and their hearts were still heavy. As the two men walked, suddenly Jesus appears walking alongside them on this road to Emmaus. And what's funny about this story is that Luke tells us that Jesus went through a, to great efforts to conceal his identity from these men who, who he had met, who he knew, who knew him. And I don't know what this means. Maybe it was like a miracle they couldn't recognize him, or maybe he spoke in a different accent, or maybe he wore his fancy robe that day and it was just different, but he went to a great deal to conceal his, pers- his self from these people. They didn't, and they didn't know it was Jesus. And as they walked, Jesus asked them this question. He says, excuse me, you guys seem kind of upset. What are you talking about? Now, Jesus is asking a question he knows the answer to, right? He knows they're talking about him. They're <laughs> and so they, they answer his question, and they say, well, there was this guy, Jesus. He was really great. Uh, you know, we thought he was going to be the, the, the Messiah. He was going to save us all. But the religious leaders, they got mad. They were scared of him. So they had him killed. And we don't really know what to do with our lives now. They were talking about Jesus to Jesus, kind of like the commuter in the basement talking to Jake about Jake. And so Jesus walks along the road with them, all the while, I'm sure, trying not to crack a smile and, 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 and reveal himself for who he really is. And as they arrived at Emmaus, where these two men were going, Luke tells us, who's documented this story for us, he makes a very interesting statement. He says, by this time they were nearing Emmaus at the end of their journey, and Jesus acted as if he was going on. Jesus acted as if he was going to keep walking. And nice chatting with you boys, but I've got places to be. Jesus is pretending like he's going to keep going, even though he has no intentions of leaving them. He's playing with them. It's another setup. He's orchestrating Another juicy theatrical moment. The two men convince Jesus to stay, right, and eat with him, and he agrees. And Jesus prays at dinner, and he lifts the bread into the air and blesses it, just like he did three nights earlier at the Last Supper. And suddenly the two men realize that this stranger that they had been walking with wasn't a stranger at all. It was Jesus. And then just like that, Jesus disappeared. The old disappearing savior trick. The two men ran all the way back to Jerusalem to tell the others that Jesus was alive, that they saw him in the flesh, that he walked with them and ate with them. They ran all the way back to tell them. And the last story I want to look at this morning is about a guy named Nathaniel. Uh, Nathaniel was friends with Philip. Uh, Philip had met Jesus, and Philip had been convinced that Jesus was 
the, the one that the, 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 the scriptures were talking about, the one the scriptures foretold was coming to rescue them. Uh, and he was convinced of it. And so he went to Nathaniel uh, and he said, you're never going to believe this. You're not going to believe this. The one we've been waiting for, the one Moses talked about coming, the one the prophets wrote about, he's finally here and his name is Jesus. And he is from Nazareth. And this is what Nathaniel says to his friend Philip after that. Nathaniel says, Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? This guy just dissed Jesus' hometown. This is, this is a turf war is beginning, right? If you're from Fort McMurray, you know this feeling, right? If you've told someone you're from Fort McMurray and they're like, ooh, sorry about that. Can anything good ever come from Fort McMurray? I don't know, just prosperity for our country. I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. That was kind of political. I, don't mean, I didn't mean to do that. This is not in my notes. We have this in common with Jesus, right? We know what it's like to live somewhere that people talk trash about. People were talking trash about Nazareth, about could anything good, this is not the person that Moses foretold was coming to save us. He's from Nazareth. Nothing good comes from Nazareth. And Philip's response to his friend Nathaniel is perfect. He just kind of laughs at him. And he says, come and see for yourself. Come and see for yourself, Nathaniel. Don't take my word for it. Come and see what he is like. Come ask him your questions. Come meet him and then decide for yourself. And, and Nathaniel agrees to go and to meet Jesus. And now... What happens next, if you grew up with a stained glass version of Jesus, this might just shatter that for you. As Nathaniel approaches Jesus, he's carrying with him all his reservations, right? All his doubts and all his prejudices. And as he comes and he's approaching, approaching Jesus, Jesus sees him, right? Off, coming into the room. And Jesus looks at him and says, Now here is a genuine son of Israel. A man of complete integrity. He's not being serious. He's, mock, he's making fun of him. He's teasing Nathaniel, a man of complete integrity. He knows that Nathaniel just was talking smack about his hometown Nazareth. He knows Nathaniel doesn't believe who he is. He, know, he, he, he knows what's happening here. And so he teases Nathaniel, a genuine son of Israel. He must be from the fancy part of town. Can anything bad come from there? This guy is the real deal, Jesus is saying, in his fun way. Jesus is playing with him. He's not serious, and he's not being rude. He's kind, and he's charming, and his goal is to get Nathaniel to choose to follow him. And he chooses to endear himself to Nathaniel with a little bit of sarcasm. This encounter with the kind-hearted and playful Jesus changes Nathaniel's life forever. And that day, Nathaniel became one of the original 12 people to follow Jesus. You, know, you may believe that God is angry all the time. You may believe that he is disappointed in you, that he is embarrassed by you, or even worse, that he just doesn't even care about you at all. You might believe that Jesus is serious or that he is boring 
or that he is irrelevant. But the guy Nathaniel decided to follow that day was none of those things. He was real. He was honest. He was kind, even when he was being a bit irreverent. He loved to smile. And he loved to make other people smile. And he overflowed with joy in a way that spread joy to the people around him. The Jesus I know, he is good. He sits with the brokenhearted. He cheers for the underdog. He makes a way when there seems to be no way. He helps me through my failures. And he celebrates with me in my successes. And sometimes when I get a little bit too religious, he likes to knock me down a few pegs with some sarcasm. Jesus is every good and perfect thing. He has everything and more. He is everything that you need and more than you could ever hope for. You don't have to believe me. You might still be thinking, how could anything good come from Nazareth? How could anything good come from church? How could anything good come from reading the stories of Jesus? How could anything good come from Jesus? You don't have to take my word for it. Come and see for yourself. In a moment, or just now, we're going to pray together. A prayer that we prayed last week. A prayer that invites God, invites the Holy Spirit, invites Jesus to reveal himself to us in, its, in his truest and most honest way. That any religious fog that we have clouding us from seeing Jesus the way he is, any upbringing, any teaching that has made us fill in the blanks of his character in the wrong way, any misconceptions that we have about him, it's a prayer that those would disappear, fade away into the background, and that we would see Jesus for how, who he truly is. And he, we would relate to him on a personal level as a friend relates to a friend. And so I'm going to pray this prayer, and you can pray it with me. And I'll take a break, I'll say a line, and you can say a line out loud if you feel brave. We're just going to pray it together, and it's just an invitation for Jesus to reveal himself to us. And so let's, if you'd like, you can pray along with me. Jesus, show me who you really are. I pray for the true you. I want the real you. I ask for you. Spirit of God, free me in every way to know Jesus as he really is. Open my eyes to see him. Deliver me from everything false about Jesus. And bring me what is true. Amen. As you go today, there are three things during this beautiful Outlaw series that we're inviting you to do alongside with us. First, we're, I'm stealing a whole bunch of the examples and thoughts from a book called Beautiful Outlaw written by John Eldridge. It is a spectacular book. And we, have, we bought a bunch of copies, that you, uh, but the most of them sold. I think there's only three left in the lobby. So if you want to buy a beautiful outlaw book, we're encouraging you to read that book. It's easy to read, it's short, but it is a powerful look at the person and the character 
of Jesus. So you can buy it in the lobby or you can buy it online. But, you know, consider reading this. There's a few weeks left in summer and before life gets hectic again. And, and Beautiful Outlaw might just be the read that, you could, uh, that would help you. The second that we're encouraging to do is watch something, a uh, TV series called The Chosen. Uh, it's a TV series about Jesus and his followers and the story of Jesus. There's lots of artistic license taken in it, but what it does really good is shatter our stained glass versions of serious, unapproachable Jesus and shows a side of him, a, pers- a version of Jesus with a personality, and it's really helpful. You can watch it with your kids. Um, I've been telling people to watch it ever since I first saw it. It's amazing. You guys should check it out. And the third that I'm encouraging to do is in this month of August, in this series, is actually just to read the book of John. John was a close friend of Jesus, and and he writes a very intimate version of the story of Jesus as a friend who saw it all. And John is only 21 chapters long. It's short. It's not a big book. And so if you read a chapter or two a day, you'll be done in just a couple of weeks. But I, I don't want you to read it to learn any theology or, or to learn about the history. I want you to take the time to, to read it to learn about Jesus. And so read a chapter or two, and then take a moment and close your eyes and invite Jesus to sit and say to Jesus, what did I learn about you in this story? And invite him to reveal himself to you in that way through Scripture. This morning, if you'd like prayer for anything, we've got a prayer team off to the side here. They'd love to pray for you. Blair's back from a few weeks of vacation, so he is rip-roaring ready to pray (laughs) for you this morning. And if you're new here today, if this is your first time joining us or you've been kind of hanging around a bit, you'd like, like to connect and let us know you have questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. You can fill out a connection card at fortcity.info. We'd love to hear from you. And, and if there's ways we can pray for you and if you have any needs, we'd love to hear from you that way. As we close, I'm going to read a benediction. So why don't you stand with me as I read these final words before we head out into our day together. John 1, 14. This is the first chapter of that book of the Bible you're going to start reading today. John 1.14. He said, So the Word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and the only Son is my prayer that the glory of the Father's Son will be revealed to you. That you would see him. That you would know him. That you would discover that Jesus wants to know you personally. You guys be blessed. Thank you for coming to church today and and gathering in this way. Enjoy your week. Go, and we'll see you out there.